show notes. On today's episode with Lorraine Sanders, we cover a wide range of things, including her weird but wonderful pathway from journalism into Web3 and the near ecosystem, some of the challenges that she faced as a journalist, which are probably wider to the media industry, and then, as you would expect, we go deep. Lorraine explains how she sees Web3 as a new paradigm for publishing, quote-unquote, mating media noble again. We also randomly talk about things such as pronoia, which is apparently something that I have. You'll have to listen on to get the diagnosis. And we cover the importance of personal branding and the state of branding and marketing on the crypto ecosystem as a whole. Hint, we need a little bit of help. <laughs> there is a lot more to this episode that I can cover on this introduction, but it is all fired. The only thing that I did not like is that Lorraine is a very busy person, so we actually had to wrap it up at the one hour mark. So this is a short one, but a really good one, and I hope that you enjoy. Let's go! Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast, a podcast about people, product, and crypto. Today, I am thrilled to have with me Lorraine Sanders. Lorraine has over 20 years of experience as a journalist and a marketer that have taken her from working among VCs in Silicon Valley all the way to the intersection of technology and fashion. Lorraine is also the founder of creative agency Spirit of 608. Where they help founders of brands creating high-impact change through emerging technology, refine their messaging, tell their stories, and build out the teams and processes they need to get visible and grow. Lorraine is also a fellow council member for the Marketing DAO for the near community and a fellow podcaster. Without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome, Lorraine. Thank you. I just want to start by saying that you're amazing. <laughs> it is well, not okay. It is not uncommon for me to start doing research on my guests and actually get to know them like better or for real, like through the research than before I invited them. So I've been extremely lucky to be able to get people on board that turn out to be like a thousand times more impressive than I knew of them. But yeah, I was looking at your website, your agency, I listened to a couple of your podcasts and I was like, oh my God, Lorraine is like a superstar. Wow. Okay. I was like, I don't know what sources you've been uh, researching, but I'll take it. I'll take that introduction. So for people that have not had the pleasure yet to come across all your content, why don't you give us a bit of an overview of the work that you've been doing and the transition from traditional journalism into this new wonderful world of emerging tech? Yeah, sure. Basically, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the journalism part because really that's what everything goes back to. Ever since I was like a kid, I've always been a bit of a of a like reporter and a journalist, much to the dismay of a lot of my friends and, and family. When I was like 12, I was taking notes on people and writing things about them. And I just am a content creator at heart and I've always done that. I spent about 15 years being a reporter. And as I went through that phase of my career, I had a lot of things that happened and things that I thought that have, I think, ultimately led me to be really interested in this Web3 space, which we can get into later. And I loved that part of what I did in my life. But ultimately, being in the media is like a really like tough job. And not so much from the day-to-day -day operations of it, but like the career side of it. And I, I can go into that if you want me to, but like, it's a hard place to be because you're reporting about people you are, you know, not necessarily situated in like 
a positive work environment. I mean, you're sort of adversarial is what I'm saying. And I didn't, after a decade of doing it, love the feeling day to day of being in that um, atmosphere. And I was always looking for something else. And ultimately, that led me to go work for some startups. I was based in San Francisco for about 16 years. I interviewed entrepreneurs for years. And so I got the bug where I was like, I think I can be an entrepreneur. I want to go work for startups. So I transitioned and, and did some of that and ultimately found myself in uh, the world of consulting and transitioned into mostly doing things for venture capital and Web3 within the last two years. So just feel free to ask me things and I'll dig in where, where you want to go with my like very nonlinear path. Yeah, that is amazing. I, I love that you mentioned the adversarial nature of journalism because even though it is so real and I can see it as you mentioned it, it wasn't like the first thing that popped to my mind. What came to my mind was more like job security or just like mm. the stress of like each piece of work is like new and it always has to be the same standard, but it's hard to compound. It's interesting. Okay, so one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately I followed this company called First Base. It's founded by a guy named Chris Hurd. And one of my key clients is a, a venture capital firm and they're investors of, of his. And so I pay a lot of attention to the media and, and his Twitter account and things that he puts out into the world in terms of thought leadership. And they're very much, they're a remote work company. And their whole line of thinking is remote work is the future. And people should have their lives first and not be beholden to the companies that they work for. And it's a bit of a revolution in the way that so many people think, especially within the last two years, that we shouldn't have to get up every day and go to an office and sit in a chair and put our eight hours in in order to get a paycheck because it takes away from your family life. It takes away from your health and wellness, all of these things. That's somewhat recent. I think that uh, line of thinking was coming into play well before the pandemic, but it was a little bit outside of the box when you maybe go back further than five years. I've been like a professional or working outside of college for over 20 years. And I've always had that I'm thinking that I remember when I was like about 21, 22, coming out of my master's degree in, in communications and journalism. And I was going to look for a place. I was trying to get a job, obviously. And I went to an interview at a company that was like really well-regarded um, and they said to me, you can come work here for, it was probably the equivalent of like 35,000 US dollars a year at the time. It was a really competitive position at a publication. And they said, you need to be on call seven days a week because you're junior. If you come into this position, you will not have a guarantee of time off on holidays. And basically they were like, we own you and we're going to pay you nothing. And I remember thinking this could be the gateway to a really great future as a journalist. I could do this for two years and then level up to bigger and bigger publications. And I remember driving home from the interview and starting to cry. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I can't believe this is my only option. And at that point, I decided I'm going to try come hell or high water to freelance and do what I want to do. And I think that's always been my sort of MO and I probably have sacrificed life, career, prestige because of that. But 
I just couldn't do it any other way. I could not deal. And now I see that so many people, millennial, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, whatever generation we're in at this point, are starting to feel the same way. And it's been very comforting to me to see that survive in, in Web3. I'm like, I feel like I found my people. You know, they're like, oh, well, I don't care what time zone you're in. We'll figure it out. They're weird. No one cares where you come from, your educational background. It's, it's a go-to attitude. There's, there's a few things to unpack there. This may be a very odd uh, coincidence, but I was actually thinking about that timing issue um, this morning, jumping in the shower. I was like, it took me a long time to like finish university and I spent a year traveling afterwards. I think that in odd ways, I delayed a little bit my, my professional career. And when I did start, I lasted about nine months at a law firm in Sydney. But it was blatantly clear to me that I just couldn't go to an office every day. Like, mm -hmm. it was killing me. I was, yeah, I became, my team was amazing and the workload was okay. But I was like, there has to be something more to life than this. <laughs> so now that we can work remotely and it's just having the flexibility. And to be honest, now that I can choose which city I live in and whether I work from home or an office, at least I personally, because of the type of work that I do, I'm actually gravitating towards like city hubs where I can be closer yeah. to people. So I do want to be part of those communities and I see the value. Like I worked uh, with Claudio and Metapool in person in Mexico for a month. So I, I see the value of working with people. I don't want to go in a bunker or like a basement forever, but it's having the optionality and then you structure your life around it. So I think we're extremely lucky that now we've got the technology and all the communication tools to enable that. But the other thing that I find fascinating is that when I was a kid, I mean, a teenager in high school, I also had my creative writing thing. So I would just write this. Okay. So my school, you could choose between humanities and science. And my school was very, they were very outspoken. They weren't really trying to hide it. They were like, look, we've got the humanities stream because it is required by the government. This is like a science school. So we've got three streams for science and one for humanities. I was basically forced to do the science stream. And I would be so bored and struggling during chemistry class and physics class. So not to fall asleep and to pretend that I was doing some work, I just sit there and write streams of consciousness. And one day my friend was like, dude, like you're failing this class. You have no idea what's happening in chemistry or whatever it was. What have you been writing? So anyway, they got it and they thought it was hilarious and it started going around. And one of my friends actually transcribed it. It's probably living somewhere on the internet out there still. So I thought for a while that I really wanted to be a writer but I was just struggling to find the structure around it. Like how does this go from being a hobby and being something where you pour out your creative juices to something that you can actually get paid for. And obviously when you have a client, now the content is about them. So it's, it's still your creative skills and your ability, but maybe it's not as joyful. You know, it, it's not art for the sake of art sort of thing. So yeah, I really admire people that are able to do both. That's interesting. Like so many things in there. My my first thought was just like, oh, you were destined to be a content creator. Like from that early stage, I think it's so interesting when people do things when they're like kids or teenagers and there's a thread of that plays out in their later adult and professional life. You know, I think there's so many times that we don't give like we don't do justice to our like zone of genius. I don't know if you're you're familiar with the whole Gate Hendricks 
book series about your zone of genius and, and what you're like truly called to do. But I often find when I talk to people that, and, and I've spent like a lot of years interviewing people, and I, I find that people often have this thread of what they're really the best at and really aligned with doing that shows up earlier on in their lives. And a lot of times we walk away from that. So anyway, I think it's interesting that you had that and now you're doing this. And I know you do a lot of other things, but you're pulling full circle of it into your world. Yeah, yeah, I I agree, and I, I I do wonder a lot about yeah, just education in general and how much we enable people to explore those things, which is why I also like Web three because I feel like it's so new that people get to experience the entire stack. Yeah, yeah, okay. So to like touch on one thing you just said earlier, you said you sort of always want to be a writer, but you wondered how do you actually monetize that? That was that the like how do you make a life doing that? I spent a lot of time with a lot of people who are like what I would call true artists. And I would not call myself that. I would call myself more of a hired guy. Yeah. Well, I would call myself more of a hustler in that I've always had five jobs. I have always been very resourceful and seeing opportunity and saying, yeah, like I could solve that problem for you. And as a writer and somebody that takes on multiple clients, you have to show up and try to figure out what their issue is and try to solve the problem. And I do that in a content capacity. But I used to, when I was based out in San Francisco, work out of a co-working space called the Writer's Grotto. And it was all like just very accomplished writers that many of whom had come up like a decade before me. And they were the true journalists, novelists, creatives that I would say lived and died by the artist's code. And I looked at how they worked and many of them but to be honest, really didn't have uh, a solid income stream. Many of them were teachers where they owned apartments and were landlords and like, wrote amazing books that hit the New York Times bestseller list. And you had to have multiple ways of figuring out how to live and work as an artist historically over the last four decades, I think. And to segue into where we are now with Web3, you and I see it every day. There's people that want to live the artist's life. And... Through Web3, they can find funding and avenues toward living and working remotely anywhere in the globe. And of course, it doesn't work out for everybody like this, but at least there is this glimmer of opportunity that I think we see uh, ahead of us for people. And I, I just, I don't know, I'm very like drawn to that. And I find it to be like, sorry, if I have a kid coming through here. <laughs> Okay. It's a family-friendly uh, podcast, no swearing. I know. That's the thing. If you're going to have a mom of four kids on your show, it's bound to happen. So, Yeah, no, it's all good. Kids are welcomed. It, it is interesting. I That was one of the things that I've been a big fan of history. I did study history formally at university as well. And when I was doing some reading about writing and stuff, it was like, this is the first generation of writers that are actually making money while they're alive. And when you mm. look back at some of the classic writers and maybe some of the bigger names that people recognize, like for instance, Oscar Wilde, which I actually mm. quite like his yeah. work, he died poor. And yep. a lot of these writers died unknown, like their work rose to prominence afterwards. So I think there was already a shift towards writers being able to make money while they're alive, but you still have a very uneven distribution of money and profits. So I think that Web3, it's like the next iteration on that, mm -hmm. uh, maybe. 
yeah, I mean, God, it's so interesting because like with Web3 and the way that things are happening, especially with media right now, God, there's such a variety. There's so many people experimenting and trying things. But I think that what I've been really fascinated by is how, so when I came into the media, we were going through this phase of advertising online, taking over all of the profits, all of the, you know, it was completely changing the business model of every publication. But now you see, it's really common, and I was complaining about it the other day, if you want to go and do a survey of a certain news story online and try to understand in quotes, like what's really going on with a certain issue in the world today. 75% of the publications that you land on, unless you're a subscriber, you're going to get blocked out by a paywall, right? So we're all having this narrowing of our access to information. 20 years ago, we were in the opposite phase where it was this opening of access to information. And it's disturbing to me that we're going in a different direction in terms of people's access to information, but it's completely tied to the business model that exists behind media. So with Web3, I really see an opportunity to have readers and writers and everyone that's a stakeholder in a certain media outlet have a different relationship with the publication and and maybe more of an ownership relationship. Because if you think about tokenomics and and DAOs and all the stuff that that you and I think about on a daily basis, those of us who are readers or, you know, subscribers, or even say you're an influencer and you, you share a publication's content we could all, in theory, have an ownership stake that could help create the financial foundation of a media outlet. And you wouldn't have to have it be advertising-based or subscription-based with a paywall the way that it is currently. And I think that could really lead to, this isn't going to happen for another decade or two, but like uh, much better journalism, much better access to information. And I think that's needed in order for society to function, honestly. There's a reason they call the media in the United States the fourth estate, along with the other three branches of the government, because it does serve a purpose to keep the powers that be accountable. And that really hasn't been something that I think has been regarded well in the past like decade because of our politics and like everything that's happened to make media look like a crying shame. But <laughs> I think that Web3 has the potential to bring the forces of media and content creation back to a more noble place. And that's something I would like to see happen. And I would like to see creators and journalists and YouTubers and people that are producing all this content that informs, educates, and entertains the compensated fairly and and have skin in the game and be able to build like a financial foundation from it that hasn't been possible, at least in my, you know, adult life. I think that a really interesting framework to tie it all together is in the past, I was a little bit outraged how we were able to massively discount people's creatives output. So you would pay writers very little, but then you would have this media and creative brands that would be worth a lot of money. So you start to see how technology starts to I wouldn't even say redistribute value, but really like unlock value in different ways. It's a process of disintermediation. We start to take away some of those bigger brands that were taking advantage of the creators and maybe in holding them back because you control the terms of what they create. And then you start to give them new distribution channels. And for me, it's very encouraging that when you start to present this new vision for what Web3 can achieve, it has technically already been validated by 
tech in general, like Web2. So if we look at something like Substack, there is a fascinating phenomena of even established writers that were with institutions like the New York Times or other newspapers, that now they are independent, they have their own Substack, and through a direct relationship with their subscribers, they're able to make the same or more money. And to me, the key element there is you're able to, and this is coming very close to, to your, the nature of your work as well, you're able to build that brand and people want to get behind what you represent as a brand. Could be a personal brand, could be your project. So yeah, I'd love to get your views on branding in general. And then we can start to segue into the crypto world specifically, like how you perceive the state of the marketing and the branding there, the opportunities, the challenges. Eventually, I'd love to hear your experience with a Gen C event and how yes. you land on Near. And then we can yes. double click on some of the work that we've done together in the marketing DAO. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I personally think my entire entry into the Nearverse is kind of hilarious because when I look back, I can't really believe that it happened as it did. It was so random, but uh, it was meant to be. The yeah, universe is conspiring to help you. <laughs> Actually, have you ever heard of the concept of it's pronoia? I remember doing, I did a paper when I was in college on this, but instead of paranoia, it's like believing that the universe is conspiring to help you. And, I've got that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. My great, so I'm a natural cynic and like I've had to spend years trying to uh, retrain my neural pathways to believe in, in the universe is conspiring to help me versus the, the opposite. Um, and I think I'm like getting there. But if you have that naturally, that's, that's amazing. Um, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't think anyone gets it naturally. I also have to train myself because obviously when I'm at Great Australia by myself, and even now, like we were talking, like it's a waiting period till the citizenship. When you identify, look, you have to go through stages of eating shit, but at the end of the tunnel, it's going to be okay. So I think that you start to retrain your brain to enjoy the entire journey. I'd be like, look, everything that happens, you can learn from. And as long as you're still on track, the universe is trying to help you. So anyway, I, I, sorry. I love that you think that. That's something I, I didn't come to thinking in a more positive way until I started to interview people on a regular basis. And I would ask these entrepreneurs. So just for anybody listening, backstory is I've been a journalist for many years and had a podcast for about seven and I'm a little bit on hiatus from from the show at this moment in time, but I've interviewed like thousands of, of people and primarily entrepreneurs. And I would frequently ask them, like, how do you keep going and how do you do what you do? And what allows you to do this difficult thing that's entrepreneurship day after day and pick yourself up? And I would tell you nine times out of 10, the people that succeed have a mindset that is resilient and deviates, defaults towards uh, positivity. And at first I thought that a lot of these people I was, were, was talking to were fading me kind of a line of BS, like whatever, positive mindset, who cares? And over then over time, it kept coming up again and again. And I was like, maybe there's something to this. And then I started to go down this rabbit hole of like, you know, personal development stuff and like things that would have made me roll my eyes and gag before. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, there really is something to that. And I, so I constantly feed my brain with like things that try to develop more 
like optimistic mindset and it really does change your life. I love that what you're saying is that you have that uh, ingrained in you already. And I, I wish that, that I had when I was two decades ago. But anyway, you get where you get at the right time, I suppose. It's a work in progress. And if anyone is listening to this, yeah, hopefully we can pass it on to them. I think it's hilarious because uh, when I visited my sister recently in Costa Rica, she is more like I was like a few years ago, a bit more mm -hmm. emotional, passionate, and I guess siblings fight a lot. <laughs> and I was like, you really need to stop meditating. You need to start reading about the Stoics. And she's like, I'm going to shove the Stoic book up your anyway, right. it, was, it, was, right. it was interesting to see the contrast. And uh, yeah, we strongly encourage people to go down the mindfulness path, but we're about to jump on the state of the branding and marketing in the crypto world. Was, yeah, I completely like blew past that question. Okay, branding, it's interesting. I would have at one point said that if you were trying to brand yourself, you were a terrible person because it was very contrived and all of this. But now it's so important. And I think the takeaway for me has been to see that we're all so busy. And there's so much information and so much noise. And branding is an activity of cutting through that and allowing people to see who you are and what you're about and how you can best connect in a very quick, concise way. And that is really at the core of what I help a lot of the people that I work with do. I would say I'm horrible at doing it for myself. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like this very nonlinear path. If you go to my LinkedIn, it's terrible. But when you are trying to navigate the world today as a business or as a creative, branding yourself is the way to allow other people to, to connect with you. I'm going to be the adversarial host and say, I agree. I think you are terrible at branding yourself or maybe you're <laughs> Like once again, like doing the research and seeing the amount of content, just like the general aesthetics of your website, the, the level of like detail and care that goes into design. Honestly, I think that is the standard that we should have for all crypto projects and that they're all lacking. So yeah. I'm very happy to have you on the marketing DAO. I feel like it's being a steep learning curve. <laughs> And maybe there's been more of a focus on trying to understand what is happening and what we do as opposed to bringing your output. But yeah, I'm looking forward to you, I guess, teaching us and most importantly, our little minions that we find, you know, the marketing ways. But I think I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Maybe we can talk about the Gen C event and how yeah. the journey with Nier started. We have yeah. so far established that the universe put you here. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Let me tell you how I got involved with Nier. Because honestly, a year ago today, I had zero understanding of what Nier was. And I was very interested in, in, in Web3 and crypto going back to, well, nobody called it Web3 back then, but back to 2018, I got really interested in what was happening with blockchain and, and cryptocurrency. And I live in a small college town. And we have a university that's very highly regarded in the town that I live in. And so we've got a lot of intellectual academic folks. We have a lot of people that have tried to escape New York and the Bay Area and San Francisco and have tried to come, you know, live here to have a, a more chill lifestyle, right? If you don't and, mind disclosing, which city is this? Oh, it's Charlottesville, Virginia. 
And so I say all that because we just have this very like interesting blending of like academics and artists and people here. So I was working out of a co-working space and they started to have events around cryptocurrency back in 2018. And I remember one night I was like, I'm going to go to this event and just, I'm really interested in this. I'm going to try to connect with some people locally and, and try to get into this space. And I went and the room was packed. I mean, for, for my town, 90 people showing up and meet up is a big thing. And I remember being so fascinated with the conversation, but looking around and I was the only woman in the whole room. Literally. And I was, I was about to ask and yeah, it doesn't and, impress me. Yeah. I was the only woman. And I'm also I, I, like, to be honest with you, at the time I was going through a divorce and I was looking around and I was thinking to myself, I'm the only woman. I'm also, I think like one of the only single people in here by scanning all the hands and like seeing the rings and all that. And, and I was just thinking, I feel so uncomfortable. Like, I want to pay attention to what's being said, but I don't feel like I can network and I just feel really awkward. And I left that event and I went home and thought, I really want to get into this space and invest, but I'm going through this transitional time in my life and I don't want people to think I'm going to these meetups to try to like, I mean, (laughs) like meet men, right? And so I just shrunk back from the space. And I also thought I have no business making wild financial choices right now. So I'm going to move forward. And I I went through that transitional time in my life. And this time last year, I was thinking, I really want to get into that space. And I had gotten out of that phase of my life onto the next, was feeling really stable, was looking for the next kind of phase in my career. And I wasn't sure how I was going to get into Web3 in quotes, because I thought you have to have some sort of like red carpet for you or like, here's your entry point. And so I remember it clear as day. It's weird how certain moments crystallize for you in your brain. But I was making dinner like last fall or I don't know what it was, like September, October one night in my kitchen. And I was like fiddling around on my laptop while I was doing whatever I was doing in the kitchen. And I saw this like message board of a women's in, women in tech group that I'm in. And somebody posted, hey, are you a marketer looking to get into Web3? there's this conference happening. And I immediately thought, I'm a marketer looking to get into Web3. And then I thought, oh, there's a conference. I probably can't go because like I said before, I'm a mom. I have two bio kids and two bonus kids. And I've got this crazy logistical blended family thing. And I live in this small town. I'm not- And a huge dog. Yeah. Oh, did you see? Did he walk past me? Yeah. No, I listened to your podcast and I loved the, the introduction. <laughs> yeah. 85 pound dog. He's Don't ridiculous. Do. Yeah, that's my pandemic puppy that's now a gigantor. But I was standing there and I thought I probably can't go to this conference. And then I realized it was virtual and it was Gen C. And I signed up for their mailing list and I was like really excited about this thing happening. And then... I began to watch all their YouTubes and listen to the, the speakers. And I, I got to tell you, I, I remember watching, I guess, the 4 Ants Guild. There was a video on what is near. And I was sitting there like with my head exploding. Like I was like, what is this? Like I knew about Ethereum and I knew about Bitcoin and maybe some others, but I didn't know anything about 
the near ecosystem or a lot of the other chains. And it just blew my mind. And it also seemed to me that we have this ecosystem of people that were very globally minded. They had somewhat of a ear towards sustainability. There was a, like a respect for access to the technology, like the whole idea that things were composable and that you didn't necessarily need to be like an expert hacker coder to participate. And I thought, I just got, I, I want to be involved in this somehow. And I remember my partner, he was like, <laughs> looking at me and he's like, what are you doing? And like this, you're watching these YouTubes while like cooking. And one thing I'll tell you, and I don't know if Carl is ever going to listen to this, but I saw the interview with Carl and I was like, it, and for people to say Carl's on the marketing down with us. And I was like, is this guy in a dungeon? Like, where is he? Because he's always like, on the video from his like, brewery in Italy. And now I know that. But it was- and for a bit of context, he's like an elderly person with a big beard in a dungeon. It is definitely a character. <laughs> Visually. I, saw Pearl. I saw Pearl and I was like, I got to I got to get involved in this whole scene because this is amazing. And it just seemed like my my people. So anyway, I started to submit to the bounties that were offered and. I've since come to find out, I don't think anybody like looked at any of my submission materials, really. I don't know. But I ended up getting an opportunity to come and talk to you guys with the marketing DAO and also the the folks at Alpha Growth. And it's just been, it's just been great. So uh, I guess for a bit of context, if people aren't familiar, I'll add the link uh, to the JNC competition or some materials that I find if people want to look into it. But would you give us an overview of what the conference was or what the event yes. was? Yeah, sorry. Um, so Gen C was a conference that was backed by Near and other people in Web3 to try to bring in more marketers and like creators and writers uh, to help people in the Web3 space communicate with people on the other side, so to speak. I think there's a huge lack of marketing. I don't know if it's a lack of marketing talent, but I know it, it, there's certainly a lot of very talented marketers in Web3, but I guess the need for communications is fast because you can't advertise and it's a different game in, in terms of growth and promotion in Web3 than it is in Web2. And so they were trying to bring a bunch of professionals into the space, from what I understand about the mission behind that conference. And they produced this great series of speakers over the course of a month. And as part of it, every speaker offered a bounty to people in the audience so that you could really, it was like an RFP, like request for proposal as an attendee of the conference, which was all done like asynchronously. You could probably still find all the content on YouTube if you wanted to. You could submit to get a bounty for different gigs. And they ranged from like $50,000 contracts to rebrand a Web3 project to 5,000 to be an advisor on the marketing DAO for a couple months to creating content for various different projects and companies. And I decided to try to jump in there. And I just remember my friend, like my partner, and then I have a, a business mentor. They're like, you're like submitting RFPs to some random people, like in different countries that you saw in a YouTube video. And in I'm a like, dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that and we'll see what happens. And then lo and behold, fast forward to now, 
I would say 50%, if not more of my work is in the Web3 space. And then also venture capital, which like very nicely like dovetails with, with the Web3 world. Well, that is amazing. By the way, so from our end, with a marketing DAO and we're told, hey, there's this marketing conference. I really like and admire that Nier has a lot of initiatives that are geared towards mass adoption and they identify that mass adoption of users can only happen if we have mass adoption of the entire stack of talent that leads to creating better products and services. So we've got developers, we've got educators, content creators, marketers, you name it. So anyway, we're trying to understand how the marketing DAO fits into the picture because we're not a project as such. So I know that projects put up their requests for work and we had smart marketers pitch to them how to achieve those goals. We're like, well, there was generous bounties offered to us. So we said, let's try to figure out a way to recruit from within this marketing talent pool. <laughs> and the original proposal was so ridiculous. It was like pay people a lot of money till I don't even remember what the first one was. I think it was, I was like, we'll pay them so that we can teach them about the marketing DAO. And I was like, I think we should be learning from them. That's why we're bringing in experts in the industry. So anyway, long story short, I think that the compromise was the money was representative of the advisor period. So there could be like a better understanding of how we get value from them and obviously bring in the expertise. And it was a wonderful experience. Like I didn't really have any expectations, but I, which is probably a good place to start. Both Taylor and yourself have vastly exceeded them. However, I'm going to go back to my very odd praise at the beginning of the episode. I'm really impressed at how you approach all of the applicants and how you're able to pick up new concepts and like your curiosity. I wasn't aware much of all the experience and the previous work that you've done, which is why I was asking about like the state of branding in Web3. And I'd be interested to see how you see the next few weeks or months in terms of trying to elevate that. Yeah, I think we have years of elevation that needs to happen. I guess what I would say is that there's so many different ways to, to get at what you're talking about. I think I come to this with professional background, with content creation and, and branding, consulting and all of that. But I also come to this as a user and a person that wanted to get into this space, like actively for several years was hoping to, to find a way in. And when I did get this entry point, that was really great. Even then, it was very hard for me to understand what was going on with a lot of projects and a lot of people. And, you know, even now that I have what I would say is, you know, really a lot more information, especially like insider information in a way than, than, than the average person. It's so hard sometimes to get your head around what different projects are up to, the communications are. And, and I, I got to tell you, I, I have not figured out why this is the case yet, but, you know, you go to the average Web3 Project's website and you're just like, what's happening here? What is this about? And then you try to find... It's definitely a rock pool. <laughs> I don't understand. I've been to like, I'll read people's, and I'm a, I don't know what you would call it. I'm like an information sponge. Like I love, it's like a way I procrastinate. I'll go read 
like people's like white papers in their medium blogs and try to understand like all this granular information and walk away from it. Probably in reality, they were like, we just have to post something. And I'm like looking for like the real explanation in it. And people are just not, the, the communications that exist need to be up-leveled. And if you really want mass adoption, you need to have a much more robust level of branding and, and storytelling around the problems you're trying to solve. And, and that's something I've learned. I got to say, I got to credit to Alpha Growth and, and Brian Collagen for that, because he's really big on that all these projects need to really put a like stake in the ground around what problem they're trying to solve and create a narrative around it because we're lacking in that. And people are so aware internally as teams, but they're not able to get that message out into the world. I've enjoyed trying to dig in a little bit. Now, of course, in the uh, sandbox that you and I are playing in with the marketing DAO and the, the community projects that we're seeing, the Nearverse, I think that there's all of those issues with communication, but there's also this, it's a global, it's global. And there's a lot of language, not barriers, but like nuances. And we're all trying to communicate with each other. Just look at the DAO. It's like, you're in Australia and you're what, you're originally Venezuelan, right? And yep. we've got Carl in Italy, but he's Scottish, I think, and British. And then we've got Elliot, who's Russian, but I believe he lives in the U.S. I'm not entirely sure. And it's just... He's also in a dungeon most of the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's in a dungeon too. And then we've got Taylor, who's American, but's living in, in Denmark. And it's so... You're just dealing with this whole global mixing bowl of people and perspectives. And it's just a lot to sort out when you think about branding. It's really complex. Yeah, that's a lot. The, the, the reason why I ask, and I hate to put you on the spot, but... I just see so much potential here. I know that most of the work that you do through the creative agency SO608. Yeah, six o yeah, the creative six oh eight was super cryptic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my understanding is that most of the work through that agency is with fashion industry and uh, is that correct? Yeah, I, I can give you a quick backstory to that. I was reporting for the most part, after I built my journalism career at the intersection of fashion and technology, it was based out in San Francisco, startup, like capital of the world. We had a ton of different fashion-based startups that came out of that region from, I don't know, like 2009 to 2015. And they're all like in the U.S. at least household names now, like The Real and uh, ThreadUp and Third Love and all of these places that were trying to innovate and make the process of buying producing and selling clothes more efficient and, and more environmentally responsible. And I got very interested in all of that. And as I transitioned out of reporting full-time for other publications, I started my own company that worked with people in that space. Uh, I had a podcast that only brought on female entrepreneurs in the fashion tech space for years. And so I spent a lot of time with people in that arena. And now a lot of times people will be like, what is the transition to like Web3, VC, all this? And how does that even connect? And there's a very direct connection, which is that people who were interested in the intersection of fashion and tech saw a way forward that was different, that was better for workers, that was better for, you know, the planet, that was better for every kind of stakeholder and that 
industry that honestly really touches everybody because we all wear clothes. And well, not everybody, but most of us, the the vast majority, right? And there's just this eye towards innovation and in progress and care for people's livelihoods that I see alive, like in Web3 and in, in the blockchain ethos as well. And also, there's so much potential for uh, Web3 to transform issues around transparency and like workers' safety and, and, and workers' rights. When you look at like in the nearverse, what like Open Forest Protocol is doing, are aiming to do with their, with their technology and putting things that relate to transparency and sustainability on the blockchain. I see all these direct connections between the space that I came out of and to where I'm looking at in the future. But yeah, I, the Spirit of 608 was my agency around fashion and tech and consulting. And it's interesting that you brought up here, like it's super cryptic. I love it. I've had a number of people in my business life tell me, get rid of that name, just ditch it. Nobody understands it. Like you need to come up with a better name. It's your, the branding is terrible. Like nobody can walk away from seeing that, understand what it is. I feel like Web3 is the perfect place for this cryptic, bizarre name because everybody's name is cryptic and bizarre. And nobody, everybody's perfectly willing to do the mental uh, gymnastics it takes to understand the relationship between someone's Twitter handle, who they are on Telegram, who they are in some kind of forum. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know. So maybe I'll- I don't know what it means, but it is provocative. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I like that you think that because a lot of people in Web2 were like, you need to just, and that's why I changed what I was doing to LS Media and Marketing, which is like, uh-huh. but maybe I'll keep the spirit of 608. We'll see. So the episodes that I, uh, I listened to two of Make It in the Metaverse- Oh, yes. And I love it. The design, they're very well edited. I know that podcast editing is one of the services that you guys offer. Maybe I should be looking at uh, engaging with with the agency. But the reason why I ask, and I know that we're short on time, is because my perception now is that you're like sitting right in the middle of two worlds and yeah. being a mediator and being able to like translate information really well like i actually loved how you're able to like relay like the crypto culture to like the lay people and introduce all these <laughs> new concepts in a way that i can give that podcast to my sister and she'll finally know what i'm talking about ngmi <laughs> but yeah i would suggest or ask if you've been thinking about or you're interested in like basically aiming your gun more at the crypto world and offering those services in terms of like branding and just in general to the crypto population and specifically i was really blown away by the free resources page there is a do-it-yourself pr masterclass or a free downloads tips to get noticed a founder's guide there's so many things there that i'm like we've been funding people in the marketing dow that they've been doing basic work like people that have good intentions and ambition but they just don't have any framework and i was like lorraine we have to give these people the tools <laughs> that's funny you say that i never really thought about those tools but yeah i guess i mean i've created so much content i think this is why i like love doing work with the marketing dow and we've seen a lot of projects come through that we're like and i don't know how this is going to sound but just to be honest like we're like are we really going to fund this and we have all these debates about what is valuable content. And I think my lens on that comes from 
years and years of creating all this stuff and nobody paying me for it. Right. I mean, I make my money from consulting and, and doing retainer based work for, for clients and for companies. But I, I think that it's really cool to hear that you see value in that because I would love to get that stuff out there more. And I love the podcasting space and I really would love to create more content for people like myself who are interested in Web3 and blockchain. I don't want people to miss out on the opportunity to get involved and to understand this revolution that I believe that we're in the middle of. And I think there's a lot of, and I hate to genderize everything, but I think there's a lot of women that just don't have any avenue towards understanding this stuff. And I'm like, ladies, can we not miss out on the next financial revolution? And we've missed out on all of them thus far. It's a big mistake to not understand this stuff. So anyway, I think, yeah. I think definitely uh, content and role models are massive. I know a few of my female friends, they really like a podcast called She's on the Money. And I think that it's like introducing, it's like basic financial literacy, but it's amazing how, yeah, you have to reach your audience. And these are things that they may seem basic, but they can make a life of, uh, well, of difference. You know, to, to go back to like mindset, I don't know if you are familiar with She's an Australian influencer, Denise Duffel Thomas. Have you heard of her? She is a money mindset. I don't know what you would call her. Influencer, author for women. And she's based in, in Australia. I mean, her content, writing, and books changed my life when it, it comes to thinking about finances. And there's so many people that block themselves from having access to wealth and abundance because of fear and thinking that, if you want to make money, you've got to like essentially bleed into your job that if you want to succeed, it's going to come with all these negative consequences. And I think that we're really in a space where a lot of people are waking up to realizing it doesn't have to be that way, but I want people to have access to information, education, et cetera, so that they can live the best lives that they can. And I set out with that, making it in the metaverse podcast to try to relay some of that information to people like me, but I have paused with it a little bit because as you go into the Web3 world, I think it's very easy to start feeling like you don't know anything. I, I got to a point where I was like, am I, who am I to tell people what's going on? I'm trying to understand all these DeFi platforms and DEXs. And I love like playing around on these like weird projects that are like, you're going to make 200,000 like API, APY or whatever. And I, I started to realize that I had so much more to learn and it made me pause. But having this conversation with you has made me think maybe I should create more content for people like your sister and women who live on cul-de-sacs in the United States and <laughs> have four kids. It's hilarious because I had the exact same experience with my YouTube channel. <laughs> I got to a yeah. point where I was like, well, if I don't already know the project, then I'm very familiar with it. And by definition, there's so many new projects that I have to go do the research. Also, I do the research and I was like, I don't feel like I'm actually qualified to actually be explaining this to people. It's yeah. interesting that I'm very self-critical and every time I publish something, it's actually really nice to get comments from people that I appreciate it. Like this, maybe we can have a support network. I <laughs> reassure you that the content is really valuable and then you can return to favorite. The but imposter syndrome support group for yes. content creators. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure well, we can find a fair few. Because there's always people that know less than you. And as long as there's people that know less than you, what you know already is very valuable. 
And that's something that I really liked about the two podcast episodes that I feel like there's a lot of energy. It's very well edited. It's really good, like audio quality, but also there's like this, I guess, like confidence that you're talking to someone and the content is hitting. Cause some of the videos that I've made, sometimes I'm like a bit hesitant. Am I dumping this down too much? Is this too complicated? It's really not clear who's watching the content other than 98% males. <laughs> Knowing your audience is so important. I can't create anything unless I know who I'm talking to. And so whenever I'm creating something for somebody else as a client, or if I'm creating something for myself, that's like the first question I ask is, who's the person that you're aiming this towards and what do you want them to get out of it? But I will say with you, I actually was, so I'm in the Alpha Growth Telegram group and they posted your video about Bastion when they were launching in there. And I was like, oh, like I know him. And, and I, so I watched the video and I was like, this is great. And then I ended up getting involved in that launch and that lock drop and all that stuff that they did via that. And so your content is valuable and it's, I, I don't know the percentage of women versus men watching this, but I watched it and I got something out of it. And you thank know. you. Now I know it's That's you and my sister. That's the percentage. It's you and my sister. That's it. <laughs> like, the women in the audience. I don't know. But I, so that's exactly my point. You have this perception that it's majority guys watching. And maybe that is absolutely true. I just feel like more women need to, to be digesting this content. And if you put something like the Bastion launch, where I've been, you know, following Cresco, I think you had the founder of Hindu Hacker on recently. And there's a lot of women that look at these projects and we're just like too busy and it's too much to get your head around it. And I also, at the same time, I'm like, ladies, you got to start like aping into this because we're all, you're going to miss the train. So anyway. No, that's huge. I think that maybe in real life events could be like a different type of experiences to get more people involved. The image of you watching a YouTube video while you're cooking was <laughs> quite and lively. Tomorrow, and I love it. Right. I'm like, what is going on? And I don't know. I guess what I would say is that there's something really cool in life about seeing something that just seems absolutely ridiculous and taking a chance on it and having it completely change the direction of your life and your work. And, and that's absolutely what happened to me, stumbling across the Gen C conference and getting involved with the marketing DAO. And I just, I don't know, it, 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 it's, there's a lot of negative stuff happening in the world, but these types of things are really what keep me going. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's 100% true. That is a fantastic point to wrap it up. Unless, I don't know, how are we going for the time? Yeah, no, yeah, I got to wrap it. Okay, Lorraine, thanks so much for your time. I know you're extremely busy with a blended family and five jobs. So <laughs> thanks for just being so open about your career, your vision for the future. And I'm sure that people will find this very valuable. Thank you so much for having me on. And now that you've re-inspired me, I'm looking forward to getting you on my, my, my continuing podcast. So we'll pick up the conversation again soon. And, and thank you so much for letting me talk to you on the show. Too easy. I'll send you a link to the Web3 support group, the content creator support group. And if anyone listening wants to join, just send me a DM. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Cheers.
that's the end of another episode. As usual, quick reminder that everything contained in all of our episodes is for entertaining and educational purposes only. If you're interested in learning more about Lorraine or anything that we've mentioned in the podcast, I put a fair bit of effort working on the show notes and I try to make sure that all the information is there. If you have any questions or comments, you can always reach out directly. Now, finally, a little bit of alpha. This may be the last time that you listen to this song because, well, there are some copyright claims against us on YouTube, but also our next guest is making some amazing headway into the Web3 music space and in general, a fantastic musician and he's offered to make some new beats for us. So let's hope that we actually get the beats and this doesn't age badly. Once again, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one.